is underway here on ESPN. Plus, Hercules Gomez, Sebi Salazar coming to you live on this Memorial Day Monday. Perfect opportunity for us to thank those who have served or are serving our country. Herc, I hope you're having a good weekend, but ain't nobody had as good a weekend as our man, Christian Pulisic, huh? Nobody. Nobody on this earth enjoying it with this family as you should. All right, uh, plenty to discuss on Christian Pulisic, plenty to discuss around the Football Americas universe. We got history down in Mexico, Cruz Azul ending the curse, their first title since 1997. We also got final tune-ups for both the U.S. and Mexico ahead of the CONCACAF Nations League Final Four. Plenty to dissect from that. But let's start with this statement, Herc. Christian Pulisic is a Champions League winner. That's right, Chelsea beating Manchester City 1-0 Saturday in Portugal. Now, Christian Pulisic didn't start. We'll talk about that later. He entered in the 66th minute, or he nearly scored. We'll also talk about that later. But let's begin with your reaction to this sentence, which is no longer a dream, now a fact. Christian Pulisic, at the age of 22, is a Champions League winner with Chelsea Football Club. It's outrageous considering how the season kind of started out for Christian under Frank Lampard, the coaching change with Thomas Tuchel, where he was in the midst of all that, his rise in this own competition, the way he played so well and you thought he deserved a start mm. to, then all of a sudden we're talking about should he leave, should he stay, all this other stuff, and now Champions League winner. Christian Pulisic is 22 years of age and he's already the leader in games played in this competition for a U.S. men's national team player at 36. He's one goal behind DeMarcus Beasley for the all-time lead of goals scored in this competition. He's already won the competition. We're, hmm. we're going to be potentially talk about Christian Pulisic winning a second Champions League, where Chelsea will be uh, in, in, the, in the arena of the Premier League and their chances next year. It, it just keeps getting better and better with Christian Pulisic. And, and listen, my immediate reaction was... I'm glad he did it. Mm. I, it. It's there. He won it. Great. But then I thought to myself, if I was a kid, if I was a child and I'm watching this, would it be the same way I watched Kobe Jones, Eric Winella, Cuauhtémoc Blanco, Luis Garcia, those guys when I was growing up? I probably myself would be inspired. I live in Southern California here in sunny Southern California in the South Bay. And when I go out and about, when I'm at, you know, the beach or when I'm uh, driving around, I see kids. I see Christian Pulisic Dortmund jerseys, Christian Pulisic Chelsea jerseys. He is inspiring a generation of players. When I was growing up, as good as it got was seeing players like Kobe Jones, DeMarcus Beasley, you know, Man City Kobe Jones, DeMarcus Beasley getting to a semifinal, those type of players, but never actually being involved, never actually being impact players, certainly not wearing the 10 jersey in a Champions League final. Mm. I like where you started there, just how difficult a season it's been for Pulisic. I think that's kind of the cherry on top, watching the celebration that he had, not just with his teammates, with his family as well. You saw it in the tweet from his father, Mark Pulisic, talking about all he'd been through. You heard it in the post-game interviews that Pulisic did, talking about just how difficult a season he's been. But, Herc, we can't deny the incredible impact that he had on Chelsea. And for me, the great moments in the celebration are are a little bit different with Pulisic. You know, we see him here wearing the U.S. soccer hoodie, and a lot of times after a Champions League final victory, you'll see guys throw the, the, the flag over their shoulders, yeah. and they're proud to represent their country. I think this is, this is importantly different. He is proud to represent this national team. It's a national team that 
I don't have to say too much, but hasn't exactly been flying high in recent years. So when you talk about the impact on kids back home, I think that's it right there. Yeah. Seeing this player wearing that crest after that game, that's a moment for kids, isn't it? Absolutely. Except you spoke very well about not carrying the flag, as we've seen in many competitions around the world, how they wear the flag. It's wearing that jersey, that crest. He understands what they're building. He understands how young this team is. And he's excited about what's to come. Nations League qualifying. I sense Christian Pulisic has a big chip on his shoulder because he was part of that failed World Cup qualifying mm -hmm. process back in 2018 to no fault of his own. Uh, he was one of the better players in that last game against Trinidad. Uh, he actually scored a goal. So this is for him. It's personal. And I think he understands that this is leadership seeping through. Speaking of personal, how cool is it to see his parents there? And, and I want to point this out because we're going to talk about youth soccer a little bit later in the show. But people spend a lot of money on coaches and clubs. You know, his father played professional soccer indoor. His mom, you can clearly see here, there's plenty of viral videos with his mom, Kelly, showing off her foot skills. Parents are a huge part of player development, and I think these two parents specifically get hurt in Christian Pulisic's case are a massive part of the player that he's become. <laughs> the player, the person, the sense of pride. I watched all those interviews after the Champions League final. The sense of pride he had, they had in him, and almost him holding back tears. You could tell he wanted to let it go. There was an interview he did where his teammates are cheering USA, USA in the background, and he's talking to a reporter. And he's, there, he's speaking about his parents. They're talking about how proud they are. He's almost holding back the tears. It, it, it hits home, honestly. It, it's something many parents, millions of parents in this country deal with with youth soccer. So it's definitely uh, heartwarming. Hey, let's talk about the performance, right? Because he actually got about 31 minutes of playing time, came on in the 66, but there was, what, seven of extra time. He's certainly successful, Herc. We have to say that because he comes on to hold on to the lead uh, and Chelsea's able to do that. But boy, oh boy, uh, for me, it boils down to that one chance. Herc, an amazing opportunity. He combines beautifully with Kai Havertz on a fast break for Chelsea. And boy, he did not miss by much. Me and my buddies were watching it together. Uh, ya lo estábamos cantando. We were already yeah. singing. I couldn't believe when it didn't hit the back of the net. Yeah, it's a beautiful play started by Kante. And then is Christian Pulisic recognizing the moment. Outside of his foot creates a, a, a nice little play with Kai Havertz. Kai Havertz says beautifully drives at the heart of the fence, slips Christian Pulisic in, mm. and then it's that play. And when you listen to Christian Pulisic after the game and he speaks of this play, he tells you how the keeper came out and made himself big, how he wanted to lift the ball. You've been there. I've been there. Many, it doesn't matter what level you play. In that split second, that half second that it takes to decide, a million things come through your head. They come ru running through your head. And he's thinking, should I slip it one way? Should I slip it the other? Should I lift it? He thinks a little bit too much, doesn't let instinct take over, and he misses. But by no means, by no means do you think this is a bad show. When you come on at that stance for a player or for, as a player for Thomas Tuchel, the first thing he's going to say is, we hold the lead. We end this game with a zero at the back. If you have an opportunity to advance, to use your pace, your ability, you take it. But we maintain the zero at the back, and you can tell that was on his mind. Could you imagine, though? Could you imagine, though? Football America's A, B, C, and D block would have been all about the uh, Christian Pulisic goal. <laughs> uh, let's talk about the elephant in the room because we spoke a lot about it, not just last week, but in the weeks leading up to this. Christian Pulisic did not start this game. Uh, any significance there for his future? 
I don't believe so, Seb. When you look at the players who actually Hold feel on, last safe. Last week, last week you said it wasn't significant to his future. Hold what's on. changed? What, what, well, what's changed is when I read the room and I see the other players at Chelsea and what they've had to go through. Hudson Odoi, uh, Tommy Abram. Well, when we talk about Giroud, when we talk about Kai Havertz, who scored his first goal in a Chelsea uniform in the Champions League final, when we talk about Timo Werner, when we talk about you know other players at like ZH, probably the only players who should feel safe are a Conte or a Mason Mount. Everybody else, that's just what it is with Thomas Tuchel. And when we honestly think about who could realistically pay the transfer fee, then pay his salary, what type of team can pay for him? Will that type of team really be any different? Will he really be a lockdown starter for said team? I don't think so. I don't know if there's an answer for that, honestly. I think this is the place for him. Thomas Tuchel, if anything, knows Christian Pulisic, which means he knows his body, which means he knows his health. And Christian Pulisic over the years has proven not to be a safe bet when it comes to health. So maybe Thomas Tuchel is the best for him. You just worry about him getting pigeonholed in that super sub role, yeah. especially, especially, and I got to say this, every time I see Timo Werner miss a chance, it's just like, man, how many more missed chances is this guy going to get before Christian Pulisic finally overtakes him? And Thomas Tuchel doesn't seem inclined at the moment uh, to move Pulisic ahead of Werner. Hey, Herc, you know how in every, like, friend group there's that person that always has the well actually you yes. know the kind of asterisk on everything they're always going to uh -huh. one up you um that's you well, let's make <laughs> let's make sure let's make sure that nobody who's watching football americas gets caught by the well actually uh person because we got to sort out some things as to what actually were christian Pulisic's uh first achieved on sunday he's not the first american to win the champions league we see jovan karofsky did it with borussia Dortmund in 1997 didn't play in the final. He's also not the first American to play in a Champions League final. As you can see, it's Nevin Subotic. Uh, he played for the U.S. youth national teams before switching to Serbia at the senior level, but he played for Dortmund when they lost in the 2013 Champions League final. Okay, so we got that cleared up on the men's side, but remember, you cannot say that Christian Pulisic is the first American to win a Champions League final, uh, because not only Jovan Kirovsky, but hey, we got nine women that have played in a Champions League final, and some big names too. Ali Krieger, Megan Rapino, Kristen Press, and of course, uh, Alex Morgan, the latest to play in a Champions League final and actually win it. She did so in 2017 with Lyon. All right, Herka, speaking of the Champions League, as great as Christian Pulisic was, how good was N'Golo Kante? <laughs> For president, for he just listen. <laughs> there's there was what's that saying? Uh, the earth is uh, made up of 75% uh, of water and everything else, and Golo Kante covers. <laughs> Absolutely, well, it's perfect timing because Golo Kante is the subject of a new feature that we're debuting today here on Football Americas. It's called Jersey Swap or Not. For more, here's Tyler Adams. Two, three, four. My name is Tyler Adams, and this is my jersey swap, or not. So obviously, I've played against some some really talented players and good players now, but I've never really wanted to switch jerseys. But the one person that I did switch jerseys with is like my idol and Golo Kante. I mean, of course, there's so many talented players out there, and uh, it would be nice to have their jerseys, I'm sure, but. Yeah, I mean, we'll be able to, with all the media and stuff nowadays, I can just go back and watch the games. I don't really need to 
jersey. We had a friendly against France. And obviously that France team went on to win the World Cup and we played them right before the World Cup. So um, you can imagine how difficult that game was. So Matt Miazga played with him at Chelsea and he kind of helped me out. Like he was speaking with him already and then he, he kind of told him like, yeah, uh, this kid wants your jersey. So um, he probably didn't know much of me yet. Just, he's so friendly. I mean, he's so welcoming. Like as soon as I was walking up to him, I think he kind of knew like, yeah, maybe he's going to want to change jerseys or something. But yeah, after the game, I just went up to him and I was like, yeah, can, can we change jerseys? And he was like, yeah, I mean, he was one of the, the nicest guys in the world, obviously. You can tell from all the pictures you see of him smiling all the time and everything. That jersey's already framed. That's a special one for me. Robert Half Research indicates 9 out of 10 hiring managers are having difficulty hiring. If you have open roles, chances are you're feeling this too. That's why you need Robert Half. Our specialized recruiting professionals engage with our proprietary AI to connect businesses of all sizes with highly skilled talent in finance and accounting, technology, marketing and creative, legal, and administrative and customer support. At Robert Half, we know talent. Visit roberthalf.com today. All right, Herc, so the U.S. loses 2-1. to one. I would ask for your biggest takeaway, but I actually want to start with something you tweeted right after the game. You said one word to describe this U.S. performance, exposed. Go on. You want to add something to that? Yeah, I think it's very evident. They were exposed on multiple facets of this game. We understand that Greg Berhalter wants this very young team to use that youth, use that energy to press. But when you press so high, your center backs have to come up with you to press. Now, if they beat that press, if they can break you down, your center backs are left 1v1. And teams are starting to figure out Serginho Dest. They understand where he's dangerous, the offensive end. But they understand he, lives, he leaves huge gaps behind him, which often leaves the center backs with even more ground to cover. It was just one-way uh, football for the Swiss. The transition game for the United States was lacking, which isn't the first time. The last two or three friendlies, they've really struggled with transition. Jamaica in Europe, Northern Ireland in Europe, they struggled against teams with a little bit of pace, against teams with a little bit of quality, who can play out of the back, who can bypass your lines, they really struggle. They get exposed, exposed in that midfield that all of a sudden has no defensive bite. Tyler Adams and his importance to this team cannot be understated, Sebi. He is so yep. important to that defensive bite because for the first time in a long time, I see a U.S. men's national team with more quality than fight. And in mm. CONCACAF, when that quality is not on, when you're playing against this CONCACAF opposition, the CONCACAF referee, when they break out the tricks, when it's tall grass, when it's 4 o'clock at San Pedro Sula, and that quality is not on, it's that fight, it's that spirit that grinds out results and takes you through. If you don't have that, what does this team have? Because we've seen the teams of the past, probably not, not better depth, not better names, but the teams of the past, the Bruce Arena teams, the, uh, the Bob Bradley teams, the Jurgen Klinsmann teams, they've all had marquee wins. Uh, Bob Bradley and what he did in Confed Cup. Uh, Bruce Arena and what he, what he did at the World Cup. Uh, Jurgen Klinsmann and what he did in the Azteca, what he did against Italy, what he did against, the, against the, you know, Holland, what he did against Germany. Marquee wins. We have yet to see a marquee win from this team. And that I'm is worrisome for me. Yeah, I'm looking at kind of the other victories, Herc, that they've had under Greg Berhalter. You got Panama twice. 
El Salvador, Trinidad and Tobago, that was a B team. Jamaica, that was a B team. You got Costa Rica twice. One of those at least was a B team. The only pseudo-impressive win was Ecuador, and that was March of 2019. So, Herc, there's, there is very much something missing there. I, I'm intrigued by what you say about Tyler Adams because we saw in the Champions League final just how important that sixth position is, right? And Golo Kante for Chelsea makes all the difference. Meanwhile, everybody's killing Pep because he didn't play a six. <laughs> And they got run right through the middle. So I really think we focus on Pulisic and Reyna and all these guys. But, man, they need Tyler Adams to get his back right. It is a real serious concern of what this U.S. team is without that one player. Yeah, and he better strengthen that back because when he comes back, that's going to be the U.S. men's national team on his back. You can see what you want about missing Zach Steffen. Horvath did extremely well. I thought he was more than fine on the night. Christian Pulisic, okay, you're going to miss a player of his quality. But when it comes to players that are so important in the center of the field, that balance he can provide, the leadership, because I really feel he's the captain of this U.S. men's national team, the defensive bite, because Weston McKinney, when he goes and he hunts and he gets out of position, he's no longer there to protect that back line. It's Tyler Adams. You need a player who has that defensive bite, who is strong, who has that cerebral presence of him, who can organize. He's the man. And what worries me is we've not seen him with Greg Berhalter. We've not seen Tyler Adams, Weston McKinney, and Christian Pulisic on the field for more than 63 minutes under Greg Berhalter. When you think about it, and the worst thing is, you lost 13 months with an interim coach. So it's not mm. like Greg Berhalter has all this time in the world to get this right. The Nations League finals are right around the corner. Semi-final, then final. Then guess what happens right after that? World Cup qualifying, and it's three <laughs> games every window now. It's just going to get even more difficult. I'm looking at this 11, Herc. How close is that, do you think, to best 11? It's close. Because you're obviously missing some pieces, right? No Pulisic. No Stefan, a few others as well, no Adams. Yeah, but those are the three. Eunice in the middle probably, but you're talking about Tyler Adams, Zach Stefan, Christian Pulisic, and uh, Eunice Musa are the players who are missing there. Uh, but other than that, you can make an argument this was very much a first-choice lineup um, with mm. what he had to work with. So, yes, uh, this is something that, honestly, uh, it's a friendly and you're going to try things, but so did Switzerland. Switzerland tried to play at the back at all costs. They also tried things. It's a better opponent and your team struggled. Against worse opponents, we've seen the U.S. men's national team struggle as well. In transition, they just lacked that understanding of when to break, when to come back, when to be more pragmatic. You can't always press. You can't always play at the same rhythm. Those are things that Greg Berhalter has to get better at. Greg Berhalter himself needed to be better this game. Yeah, the team was exposed as much as the individual players, right? This Swiss team was ranked, uh, I think, actually at the latest 16th, 13th before that in the latest FIFA ranking. So this is real quality opposition. And you saw just what it was like for the U.S. Herc, let's do a stock up, stock down. Let's start on the positive. Who you got stock up? Who helped their case Mark uh, McKenzie. in his performance against Mark the Swiss? Mark McKenzie. Oh, yeah. You would love the center backs. You know what? I am not a big center back type of guy, but Aaron Long's injury intrigues me. Who can slot into John Brooks? And I penciled in Mark McKenzie as one to actually, you know, fight for that position with my, Matt Miazga with what was or at his disposal for Greg Berhalter this game I thought he was extremely sharp defensively good anticipation uh, never put himself into trouble I thought he did very decent on the night certainly the best defender one of the few bright spots in what was a, an abysmal performance from the U.S. men's national team 
Yeah, Philadelphia Union Academy product just coming off a Belgian Cup title uh, with Gank. So Mark McKenzie having himself a very, very good run at the moment and critical timing, right, for the U.S. Because as you mentioned with the long injury, they need center backs, not just the Aaron Long injury, but her now the fact that Greg Berhalter continues to seem to want to play uh, with three center backs. Let's do the other side of this, and that is stock down. Serginho Dest did not have his best day. No. Let's be honest, Serginho Dest isn't a great defender. What makes Serginho Dest so great is his ability on the ball, his ability to join in in the final third, his ability to combine. He's a very special talent. But do not force him to defend 1v1 because whether it's the level of La Liga, Champions League, Barcelona, or sometimes a national team, he's not a great 1v1 defender. His, understand, his understanding of the tactical discipline you should have as a fullback is lacking. Which brings me to what you just said about the three center backs. His best position probably is a wing back, is with that ability to be projected by an extra center back. And that is why we probably see three center backs at times with Greg Verhalter. And I think it's important for Cedrino Dest if he's not in that three center back position or as a wing back to really have an understanding of what it takes to play in a four man back line. Because oftentimes he leaves that center back next to him on an island. Uh, Serginho Dest is a special talent, but he's not a defender. He's mm. this modern-day, I occupy you with possession, I occupy you with the ball type of player. In CONCACAF, that can get you in trouble. I wonder if at some point, Herc, if Greg Berhalter wants to go to a back four, as you suggest, if he can trust Serginho Dest on that right-back position in a back four. And if not, the truth about Serginho Dest, Herc, is if you're the United States... Maybe not if you're Barcelona. You might be able to find a better right back. But if you're the United States, you have got to get a player of Serginho Dest quality on the field Absolutely. no matter what. I wonder if there's another position for him with the U.S. Maybe a right wing. Maybe it's a little bit like Tecatito, who for club plays as a wing back, but for national team plays as a right wing in a 4-3-3. Could be. It could very much well be that type of uh, situation for Serginho Dest. But this is also for Greg Berhalter. Listen. Everybody has a plan until they get punched in the mouth. When you have this 3-5-2, when you have a 4-3-3, when you think you can combine out of the back and then you get thrown into these concave circumstances and things go awry, can you be more pragmatic? Can you go to plan B? How do you get out of that situation? This is for Greg Berhalter. Yeah, we're looking at the uh, training scenes this past week from the beautiful beautiful mountains in Switzerland. Herc, you ever have a good international trip like that? What was your best international training scene? My best international training scene was South Africa, World Cup. Ah, big timer. Priori, it was big beautiful. Big timer, played in the World <laughs> Cup. Had to, had to get a mention in the show. At least what you did it uh, only 15, what, 25 minutes in. Hi, it's Mike Greenberg letting you know ESPN Bet is ready to take you through all the biggest sports moments this spring. The official sportsbook of ESPN has exclusive offers and markets from Scott Van Pelt, Stephen A. Smith, and me, plus many more. From the playoff intensity to finally getting out to the ballpark, there's no better time for sports fans. Sign up today. New users get a bet reset up to $1,000 in bonus bets if your first bet doesn't win. Download ESPN Bet today. What a play. Must be 21 plus and present in select states. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply. See app for details. Hey, let's talk Mexico. They were in action over the weekend as well. Herc played on Saturday against Iceland at Cowboys Stadium in Arlington, Texas. Not a great start for Mexico. They actually fell behind in the 14th minute. An own goal uh, for Edson Alvarez. Uh, this is the definition of partido molero. 
It's a big crowd, subpar opponent. The grass has just been set over the turf. You can still see the green paint on the grass, patches everywhere. Alternate lineup, not much action. Guess what? The Fed's gonna make some money though. Oh yeah, they will. Now the game got good once Chucky Lozano came in, basically. He scores here in the 73rd minute off an assist from Diego Lainez, who had himself a pretty good game. Here's another look at the counter. That's all Diego. Uh, honestly, Diego Lainez had his best game to date. When I think about how much better Diego Lainez has gotten, we're going to see the second goal coming up uh, in a bit. And it's the ability of Hector Herrera to send this cross and Chucky Lozano to come in as that second nine all of a sudden when he's operating from the wing. Uh, but I'll go back to Diego Linus as we're seeing this goal. When you see him play for Real Betis, how much better he's been. Real Betis, he occupies a more flank position. In this game, he was operating more centrally. And every time he got the ball, he would drive with pace and purpose. Uh, his decision-making got better. He seemed to be one of the few players that understood that when he got the ball, the onus was on him to try to produce something, try to get something out of the play. He's gotten so much better at that because oftentimes at Real Betis over the years, when you see him play, he looked one-dimensional. I thought he looked everything but it, it was his best game. Uh, but it's Chucky Lozano and it's his show, right? Chucky Lozano comes on two goals, Seb. This is what Chucky Lozano does. And you and I have spoken very much about Chucky Lozano and his time in what is Serie A. I think the fact that he's been pushed into different positions, different roles, has helped him now. When mm. you see him, and I've played that position when I was at Santos, a left winger, and oftentimes I found myself getting more opportunities when the ball's on the opposite side and coming in as a second forward. Caminando Laria, being that, that player who can walk the line, walk the area, walk the box, and convert himself into a second striker. His innate uh, instinct within it and around the box has gotten so much better, and now he's scoring goals off of it. Is he Mexico's best player right now? I think if, if Raul Jimenez was healthy, or even if Raul Jimenez, frankly, had had a different injury, uh, it, it might be a conversation. But I was trying to think, who else is even in that convo? And for me right now, it's Chucky, and it's, it's not really close. No, he's the poster boy for the Mexican national team right now. Everywhere you go and you see Mexico, it's El Chucky Lozano. That's what they're singing. That's what they're chanting. He is the man right now, and deservedly so. He's the one player, and we're going to speak sans Raul Jimenez because of what he's been through, but he's the one player who consistently takes his level mm -hmm. to the next level. Herc, you, uh, you talked about the game as a kind of classic partido molero, and, and it just felt like it, right? I'm wondering if there is ever really a takeaway from this match for you, because I watched it and it was just very blah, almost like uh, everybody was moving it at half speed for both teams. So maybe we can analyze the individuals, but collectively, uh, it, it wasn't a very inspiring performance from the Mexican perspective. No, not at all. And when you speak about these Partido Moleros, I think Tata Martino is now getting a, a good sense of what they are because he spoke of the, you know, the CONCACAF Nations League and how it really, really doesn't do anything for him. They're playing against the same opponents. Well, hold on, Tata, because you're going to go off to Atlanta, then you're going to go off here. You're going to have three or four more Partido Moleros in or around that span, so get used to it. Yeah, I don't think there's uh, any way out of that for... Uh for Tata Martino and the Mexican national team. You know, the one thing that I think we, we do have to address from this game is her, we heard the homophobic chant yeah. again. And it was actually interesting because they went to the first step of the three-step protocol, which is to stop the game and make a PA announcement. But they never went to the second step, despite the fact that the chant kept happening. Of course, we know the second step is to pull the players off the field, allow a cooling off period before the third step, uh, which Herc we know is abandoning the match. And I felt really, Herc, it was a, 
a wasted opportunity. Here's why. You got real competitive games that mean something coming up in Denver that Mexico is going to be participating in. Ted Uncle, the referee there, could have taken it to that second step. He could have even taken it to the third step and abandoned the match. This was the game to sacrifice to send a message. Now you're going to go into competitive matches with, I'm sorry, having set the example that's pretty unclear. How many times are we going to tolerate this chant? Just a wasted opportunity to really clearly send a message that this isn't going to be tolerated. And it's not just Ted Uncle, the center ref, Herc. Everybody with the Mexican Federation knew that this was a possibility coming in. And so for them to be reactive instead of proactive kind of gives us a hint as to just how much of a priority this really is, I think. Yeah, precedent's been set, right? Uh, I will say this. Um, when I was watching this game, and this homophobic chant was, was, uh, came to the attention of what was Ted Uncle. You saw the players, the Mexican players, kind of waving the fans to try to calm them down, try to reason with them. That's as far as it's gotten for these players, mm. that they understand what could happen. Yeah, you know, I don't like what I heard from Jan de Luisa. One of the things he said in his comments last week is, we're putting a lot of responsibility for this on the players to help yeah. get the message Washing out. Washing their hands um, of this. I, d I didn't like that. The no. players have a role, certainly, and they can help. Uh, but the Federation, FIFA, the leadership, the suits, right? The suits have to step up here and, and I think, uh, make a case. Hey, one more thing on this match. We talked a lot about Chucky Lozano, and you touched very briefly on Diego Linus. But if there was a non-Chucky Lozano man of the match, it was Linus for sure. And for me, that's super important. One, because you talk about Chucky Lozano as potentially not a wide option for Mexico, maybe playing through the middle. Also, I have to say this. If I had a stock down to give to a Mexican national team player, it's Rodolfo Pizarro. And I think Diego Linus could very quickly overtake Pizarro in that Tata Martino pecking order for a central wide playmaking type. Uh, I don't know about that. Diego Pizarro's injured, and uh, he seems to be el consentido de Tata Martino, like the chosen yeah, we'll one for see. Tata Martino. We'll and, see. And uh, Linus isn't on the 23-man roster for the CONCACAF Nations League. Oh, yes, he is. Yes, he is. Eric Aguirre injured. Oh! Diego Linus called in at the last minute off the Bring performance the from yesterday. There you go. There you go. You got to read the emails. All right. Uh, let's go to Liga Mekis. Oh, we got history. Since 1997, Cruz Azul unable to win a title. They're going, what, 23 and a half, 24 years. Uh, one of the biggest clubs in terms of fans, biggest clubs in terms of money spent in Mexico. We talked about their domestic history of failure on Thursday's show with our good buddy Sergio Dip. Uh, they were down one nothing in the second leg. Then they get this controversial goal. Herc, I know you with your Santos ways. You were immediately tweeting, offside, offside. Have your moment to cry in your oatmeal then. <laughs> is it not offsides? Does Paul Fernandez not make a play for this ball? How is this not offsides? No bar, or at least bar told them it is a goal. They get the tie, uh, and they're champions for the first time in 23 and a half years. Uh, very quickly. It's offsides, but that's not the reason that Cruz Azul are champions. Let me mm. state that, okay? You cannot discredit what this club has done this season. Historical season. The best offense, the best defense, uh, best, one of the second best home team, best away team. What they've been able to do and overcome amidst all this, uh, I guess, controversy, if you will, with the ownership and Billy Alvarez and everything that's going on. I don't want to get in the weeds, but it's been nothing short of amazing. Seventeen years to win a final. Nineteen ninety-seven, they lift it to go another twenty-three and a half years without a final. Besides Atlas in Mexico, there is no more. There is no fan base that's really struggled so much. That's really kind of been 
suffering so much like Cruz Azul. So part of me was happy for Cruz Azul, even if it came at the expense of Santos, but I still feel this is 100% an offsides. Yeah, I know, but even if it is offside, like, can you really be mad with everything that Cruz Azul's I mean, gone through? If you're a Santos player, I guess you can. Yes, yes, absolutely. <laughs> uh, Santos had their chances to clear that ball. Yoshi Yotun had plenty of time to loft that in uh, before it ever ended up in the goal. But fair enough, you had your cry, you had your moment. Um, bigger picture. Rodriguez. What, what are they going to talk? Yeah, Cabecita Rodriguez with the goal. Um, what are they going to talk about? What are they going to talk about in Mexico now? You, you, you mentioned Atlas, they haven't won since, what, 1951, 1952? But nobody cares about Atlas at this point. Ooh. Cruz Azul has a title. What are they going to talk about on, on SportsCenter ESPN Deportes? This is uh, interesting because all the memes have been shut down. The memes machine can no longer make fun of Cruz Azul. They got tons of money, a great fan base. And now they're adding to those titles. They've already had League Cups. They've already had what is uh, Champions League, CONCACAF Champions League, all these other tournaments. Now they added Liga MX. What can you do? Well, if you're a team like Chivas, Pumas, I'd be worried. You're next, my friend. You're the next yep. meme. <laughs> Uh, some special tie-ins. Obviously, Jesus Corona is, what, 40? 40. Uh, he's been with Cruz Azul for, for 12 years, so so great for him. Juan Reynoso, who's now won it with Cruz Azul as a, as a player and as a manager. So, so many, like, feel-good stories yeah. here to wrap this up. You want to know how big it is? The Mexican president was even tweeting about it. Um, and it's interesting, right, because Cruz Azul has been fighting against this curse. But look at what it finally took to end some of these historic curses. Herc, all these curses coming to an end in the pandemic. All right, but don't, 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 don't throw my Lakers there. Come on, 10 years. Come on, one of them. <laughs> all right, it's fine. No, but this, is, this, has, this has something to do with it. And, and may, maybe it's that there is no away fan base. There is no away atmosphere. Maybe that has something to do with it. Maybe it alleviated the pressure for some of these teams. But Cruz Azul... You just felt like it was coming. This podcast is proud to be supported by Jets Pizza, the number one pick in Detroit-style pizza. Why? It's simple. Jets is better. With the thickest, crispiest, cheesiest Detroit-style pizza in the country, there's no competition. Right now, get $5 off any eight-corner pizza with code 8SAVE. That's the number eight, S-A-V-E. Go to jetspizza.com to learn more and find a location near you. Again, try Jet's signature eight-corner pizza and get $5 off with code 8SAVE. That's the number eight, S-A-V-E. Jet's Pizza. Better because it has to be. All right, let's transition to the women's game. Huge weekend hurt in Europe. Lots of titles being handed out. Uh, let's start with Barcelona. 4-2 winners over Levante in the Copa de la Reina final. Barcelona completing the treble, the league, the domestic cup, the European Cup. Of course, Herc, we remember they beat Chelsea in the Champions League final. A historic team for Barcelona. Herc. Hold on a second. 28 wins, 0 losses, 0 ties, 139 goals for, 7 against. They won the Champions League final 4-0. And now this. Seb. Are we talking about a dynasty here? Oh, you know it, definitely. First club to win the treble on both the men's and the women's side. And Herc, remember when I told you Spain was the biggest threat against the United States? Yeah, half this team plays for Spain. So I'm just saying. Um, German Cup final, Wolfsburg, Frankfurt. It goes to extra time, 118th minute. Surely we're headed to penalties. But wait, Ava Payor, not just with a winner, but a great one. Oh, I'll give it a little context. They're playing a player down. Six minutes of extra time. Almu shoots. She earns a red card. The goalkeeper gets a red card. A man down, a woman down. And they do this. Is that seven straight? 
Seven straight for Wolfsburg. Uh, Ava Pyro, the, the player that scored the goal there, by the way, Polish sensation, an absolute stud uh, in the women's game and a young player, player to keep an eye on for the future. Let's go to France. Basically, the league decider between Lyon and PSG. Katarina Macario starting up top for Lyon. They needed a win. PSG only needed a draw, and that's how it finished. Herc 0-0, a game we saw on ESPN+. Ah, huge opportunity missed. Huge opportunity missed. I mean, still a dream season for Macario. Yeah, top rivalry there between uh, PSG and Lyon. PSG knocking Lyon out of the Champions League as well. NWSL Golasso from Crystal Dunn. Woohoo! There we go. 2015 League MVP scoring her first as a thorn. Uh, by the way, doing very well adjusting to that new number eight role. This is a sweet finish. No movement. Catches the keeper off guard. Very surprised. Portland beats Gotham 1-0. Remind me, Herc, who was my uh, number one player yeah, in that Crystal ESPN FC yeah, I know, top I know, 50 I know. women's ballers? I know. Yeah, you know. A couple <laughs> other plays in the NWSL weekend. Michelle Prince, Houston Dash beating U.S. women's national team number one, Alyssa Nair. All right. Nair gets caught trying to organize her defense. You can see her kind of wave out organizing. Never sees this from Prince. Part of me thinks she's crossing the ball, but it doesn't matter. Ends up in the back of the net. Beautiful. Couple big returns this weekend in the NWSL. Rose Lavelle is back with OL Rain, taking on a former team, Washington Spirit, putting them in the spin cycle there. Go ahead, Rose. Go ahead, Rose. I can't believe she couldn't get on the field for City. It blows my mind. It does, right? Uh, Washington Spirit actually end up getting the win here, one nothing. Shout out to Sam Mewis as well, who returns in a five nothing win for the North Carolina Courage. All right, Herc, time to focus in on Major League Soccer, the weekend that was with the good, the bad, and the ugly. And hey, last time we get to do this for a while, international break coming up uh, in MLS. So let's not waste any more time. Let's get to it. We'll start with the good. We have a Brendan Aronson clone. That is super good news. Paxton Aronson, that's right, Brendan Aronson's younger brother, 17 years old, makes his MLS debut for the Philadelphia Union. Three nothing win over Portland Herc. So exciting for Philly fans, for fans of academy and development, and really for fans of the U.S. And men's national spelling. team. Check the spelling. That's Paxton with a 10, like the number 10. Attacking midfielder, can play anywhere in the midfield at front line. Uh, I am told by our good friend Jonathan Tannenwald of the Inquirer, the local paper in Philly, uh, that his ceiling is higher than his brother's. Woohoo! That's the hype train. I love it. The bad Josie Altidore frozen out of first team training after a confrontation with Chris Armas. Hurt the latest. Ali Curtis, the GM, says Josie's future will be decided over the international break. How's this going to play out? <laughs> the way it should have played out a long time ago a divorce. Now it's just a messy divorce. Uh, Josie Altidore has been trying to leave Toronto FC for. Uh, quite some time, and it's no secret. Toronto's actually been trying to facilitate that, but every time they've had an offer, for some reason, it doesn't materialize. Now they're stuck, and now Josie Alter is no longer part of the first team. Chris Armas, who, quite honestly, uh, has a lot of proving him, uh, of himself to do with that club. Toronto FC, a dumpster fire, a shadow of their old self. Not the same Toronto FC that was Greg Vanny's, Tim Vesichenko, Sebastian Javinko, Michael Bradley, that Josie Altador, that... That team that just dominated for so long got to the CONCACAF Champions League final. That's not the same team anymore. We're talking about a team that Bill Manning and the rest uh, really don't have any answers for, really don't have uh, an idea of what's going on there. So Josie Altidore and that $3.6 million contract, now it's theirs. They're on the hook for. You know, I'm not sold 
Although it looks like it for a lot of reasons that this is the end of Josie Altidore at TSC. Here's why. Ali Curtis, the GM, uh, in addition to the comments that he made about Josie's future, he said it would be handled internally, which makes me think, okay, you're not going to trade or cut ties with this guy. He also said they would take into account the totality of Josie's time with the club, almost like they would cut him some slack for all his service to TFC. Herc, if he does have to go somewhere, uh, you mentioned that salary where could it be? In MLS, out of MLS, what are you thinking? Out of MLS, I don't think anybody mm. in MLS will, will take $3.6 million, and Toronto will take a big chunk of that. Uh, he's had offers in, in Liga MX. I know Tigres was behind him uh, not too long ago. They actually offered players to Toronto. It didn't materialize for whatever reason, uh, mind you, but this has been quite some time that this divorce has been happening. Uh, that play, or the Orlando subbing off incident, if you will, was just a cherry on top. Josie Altor gets subbed off uh, for Ayuaki Nola. It's like for like, nine for nine. They're down a goal. They've won one game all season, and that game they won, Michael Bradley, Josie Altor, goal, goal. So you can understand why Josie's maybe a bit frustrated and say what you will about Josie and how he's played this season over the last uh, year. Uh, this is your DP, um, mm that you're taking out. This is your DP that you're saying you're not good enough to help me in this moment when I need a goal. Uh, so, yeah, they, I think this is um, beyond repair, and I think we're looking at a Josie Alter situation where he's looking to go elsewhere. Yeah, I don't know that I would rule out an MLS stop. Maybe, maybe, maybe LAFC, a reunion with Bob Bradley, who took him to the World Cup in 2010. And not just that, Herc. LAFC only has two DPs. One of them is Diego Rossi. You might lose him at any time. That's a player that's highly coveted. Josie Altador, Carlos Vela, what a combination He's that could, 31. could be um, for LAFC. That All right, let's nice. get to the ugly. Let's get to the ugly, Herc. And uh, this team has been in our ugly before, but they're back in it again. Inter-Miami sanctions coming down by MLS Friday. Inter-Miami found guilty of violating roster designation rules when it comes to Blaise Matuidi and Andres Reyes. They also underreported, Herc, the salaries of three other players. The punishment, a $2 million fine to the team. $250,000 fine to Jorge Mas, the majority owner. They're going to lose about 12% of their salary budget for the next two years. It sounds like a lot. Is it fair? Part of me says yes because MLS is finally growing a backbone. For MLS to go against one of the owners, mm. for the rest of the owners to say, you know what, they're so outlandish, we need to do something, something like this, it tells you something. But they essentially played with five DPs and underreported on three more. Except mm. not only did they cheat, they weren't even good at cheating. They weren't even good while cheating. They were 10th in the East while cheating with five DPs. It blows your mind at how inept they were, how bad the situation is there. And this last game they played against DC United at home, 18,000 fans got to see them get blown out by DC United. How many wins did DC United have going into this? No, no, no. We're not going to make no, this no. about D.C. United. But what I'm, I'm trying not gonna... to tell you is they were booed off the field by their fans, rightfully so, because of this, mm. not because of D.C. United. Uh, one more bit on the punishment. Paul McDonough, who's the sporting director for Inter-Miami during the time, since his move back to take the same job with Atlanta United, he's been suspended by MLS, can't take any job within MLS through the 2022 season. Honestly, Herc, uh, the, the numbers are impressive, but what's $2 million to a corporation, right? What's $2 million to a company? What $2 is million 200... monopoly dollars. 
What is $250,000 to Jorge Mas? I mean, it's nothing. The 12% salary cap hit is significant in a salary cap league. I won't deny that. But I don't think it's enough. No. I think you got to either take a designated player away from this team moving forward, really hurt them moving forward, or you got to give them a one-year playoff ban. Because, again, the, 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 the competition has, has to be kept uh, cannot be compromised. Herc, in a salary cap league, you talk about MLS trying to get in on all this betting action and making themselves more relevant. You cannot have your salary cap compromised, Herc. And that's why I think MLS, as harsh as this is, and as big as it sounds, missed an opportunity here. The other thing about this, Herc, is the responsibility. Who's really on the hook for this? If you looked at the punishment, Herc, MLS put in it that Inter-Miami would have to come up with a plan to police themselves. Wait a second. Wait a second. Major League Soccer put the salary cap in place. They're going to have to be the ones to police it, Herc. And most importantly, they've got to police it in real time. Because you're right. Last year, Inter-Miami finished 10th. It didn't matter that they cheated. But if somebody else cheats and wins something of significance and you're not policing it in real time, that is a massive problem for the league. You cannot get in a time machine and go backwards. Let me, let me get this straight. You want to give them a one-year ban from the playoffs as punishment? Have you seen them play? <laughs> too harsh, too harsh. We want to keep some friends down um, in inner Miami. All right, uh, big show on Thursday. Jeff Carlisle going to join us. An interview with Timothy Weah as well. That's it for this edition of Football Americas. We'll see you next time right here on ESPN+. Robert Half Research indicates 9 out of 10 hiring managers are having difficulty hiring. If you have open roles, chances are you're feeling this too. That's why you need Robert Half. Our specialized recruiting professionals engage with our proprietary AI to connect businesses of all sizes with highly skilled talent in finance and accounting, technology, marketing and creative, legal and administrative and customer support. At Robert Half, we know talent. Visit roberthalf.com today.